0: Hello, I'm Dr. Alistair Lindsay, and welcome to the second edition of the HEART podcast. For today's podcast, I'll be interviewing Professor Leon Ng from the University of Leicester, who is the senior author on the Editor's Choice paper of June 2010, Volume 96, Issue 11. The paper is entitled Identification of Potential Outcome Benefit from ACE Inhibition After Acute Coronary Syndrome, A Biomarker Approach Using N-Terminal ProBNP. This paper addresses the important question of which patients will benefit the most from ACE inhibition after an acute coronary syndrome, and Professor Ng's group from the University of Leicester have examined the role of N-Terminal ProBNP as a marker of risk stratification post-acute coronary syndrome. Professor Ng joins me on the line now. Thanks for joining us. I wonder if I could start by asking you a little bit about what we currently know about the role of ACE inhibition in patients who've had an acute coronary syndrome.
1: Most of the large studies were done in the 90s when uh, patients with infarction and usually heart failure were given ACE inhibitors early in the course of the disease. And these tended to show relatively large uh, risk reductions in mortality, such as 20 to 25%. But subsequently, um, larger studies have been performed on unselected patients with myocardial infarction, such as the GC3 and the isis 4 trials. And in these studies, the risk reduction tended to be a bit smaller, something like 7 to 12 percent. So uh, the most recent studies were obviously in patients with stable coronary artery disease, and these uh, in general have shown less benefit. So there seems to be a gradient of benefit from ACE inhibition from the patients who have heart failure with ischemic heart disease compared to those who do not have heart failure.
0: I see. So there's a marked variation in effects. And so the the rationale for your study is obviously whether we can use N-terminal proBNP to try and determine those patients who benefit most from ACE inhibition. Um, Has this been used, uh, the the use of N-terminal proBNP, has this been studied post-acute coronary syndrome before or, or has most of the work been done in heart failure?
1: Uh, although the initial studies on NT probnp were done in heart failure, uh, there has been quite a lot of interest in using it as a prognostic marker after myocardial infarction as well. Mm-hmm. It certainly is a very, very strong uh, prognostic factor after infarction.
0: And uh, how is it currently used in your institution? Would uh, patients receive it routinely after uh, presenting with an uh, MI, for instance?
1: Currently, uh, our institution doesn't use antipro-BNP as a risk stratification marker.
0: Okay. So, moving on, uh, could you tell us a little bit uh, about your study, um, how it came about, the the design of the study, um, and how you carried it out?
1: Yes. uh, We recruited patients uh, with non-ST elevation infarction and also ST elevation infarction in a couple of hospitals in Leicester. And we measured the antiprobian P levels about four or five days after symptom onset. And then we followed these patients up for uh, several years, up to about seven, seven eight years. Um, what we found was the antipro BNP was a very strong prognostic marker for death and heart failure. And there seemed to be a an interaction between the anti BNP level and ACE inhibition.
0: Mm-hmm. Could you just talk us through a little bit initially about how uh, anti BNP uh, rises and falls over the time course of an acute coronary syndrome? Is an early rise seen or is a four or five day wait before taking the level mandatory?
1: Typically, the anti BNP or BNP levels would rise within the first 24 hours and reach a peak after about 24 hours and then it would come down to a stable level. Um, but there may be a subsequent secondary rise in patients who have heart failure.
0: And therefore, you took one assay initially, and uh, you used that as your, your baseline for risk stratification.
1: Yes. So I- initially, I think if the if the antiprobial levels were measured uh, just before discharge, they would probably reflect... Uh, the myocardial function more accurately than the one which is taken immediately on on arrival.
0: I see. So for prognostic benefit, it it may be more advisable to take it at a, a slightly later stage.
1: Both of those uh, levels could be used for prognosis, but uh, in this particular study we were using just the discharge level.
0: And as you mentioned just there, you did notice uh, an association between higher levels of NT-proBNP and uh, your primary outcome. Um, But one of the perhaps slightly surprising findings from this study is that you found that ACE inhibition only seemed to confer benefits in the patients with the highest levels of plasma NT-proBNP uh, given the the uh, statement you made at the beginning about the range and efficacy of ACE inhibition in other acute coronary syndrome trials uh, did this finding surprise you at all or is it something you were expecting?
1: I think we were uh, not really surprised by this because as I said earlier the benefit of ACE inhibition seemed to be most in patients with heart failure mm. after infarct, and uh, with the uh, use of more and more sensitive troponin tests. We're getting a lot of patients diagnosed with non-ST elevation infarction, who may be obviously at lower risk of uh, uh, death and heart failure than those with ST infarction.
0: And so, therefore, it may be that actually some of those may not benefit quite as much from from ACE inhibition.
1: That's right. There's actually no formal study uh, with aCE inhibition in non SD elevation in function uh, and hmm. the trials don't actually report uh, um, specific changes in ST or non SD elevation in function
0: I see and and if I understand correctly current UK guidelines are however that aCE inhibition should be considered in all patients after acute coronary syndrome
1: that is correct yeah um, both American and European guidelines suggest ACE inhibition should be used in all patients with myocardial infarction. So
0: uh, moving on, one of the other things I I think that I noticed uh, particularly in your study was that uh, there was uh, a benefit of ACE inhibition in your subgroup analysis in patients without hypertension and diabetes, but not in those patients with hypertension and diabetes, if I have that correct. Um, Could you give us any insights into, into why this might be?
1: I think that is correct, but we're not quite sure of the mechanism of this finding. Um, it may be because some of these patients on diabetes or hypertension may have been already pre-treated with ACE inhibition. Um, we, The classification of patients, whether they are on ACE inhibitors or not, uh, was taken from the discharge medication. So we're not quite sure whether this could have been due to pre-treatment with ACE inhibition.
0: I see. One important point, I think, for for readers of this study will be your feelings on, uh, in the modern era, the interchangeability of of ACE inhibitors and angiotensin II blockers, uh, particularly following acute coronary syndrome. If I read it correctly, in your study, patients could be treated with either. Is that right?
1: That is correct, yeah. We lumped together patients uh, who were treated with ACE inhibition, with those with angiotensin receptor blockers as well. Um, there are only, uh, there's only one trial post ACS for angiotensin receptor blockers, and that's on valsartan. Um, but we we lumped together all angiotensin receptor blockers with ACE inhibitors for analysis.
0: I see. And in your clinical practice, you, do you use them mostly interchangeable in, in patients such as this, falling acute cough Yes, we do.
1: Yes. Uh, in patients who develop cough uh, or other side effects with ACE inhibition, they would be put on angiotensin receptor blockers. So uh,
0: just to conclude, uh, obviously the the findings from the study are fascinating and really address the way that we, we look at how we medicate this group of patients. Um, are you considering changing practice in your own institution or uh, how do you feel about the need for a, a randomised controlled trial based on these findings?
1: Because these findings were derived from an observational study, we feel that um, a randomised trial should really be performed to... For example, use the biomarker as a guide to changes in treatment, and to see if there's any differences in the outcome of the two groups.
0: I see. In terms of feasibility, is that something that would be easy to do in a, a, a in a single country, or would it have to be a multinational collaboration?
1: It may need to be a multi-center, multi-country sort of study, but it's unlikely to be funded because of all the um, established trials already in, in myocardial infarction with ACE inhibition. I see.
0: And so with the the added uh, cost of adding in the, the plasma pro-BNP assay, and I guess the complications associated with that may may not make it easy to find backing.
1: It's not actually a huge cost. The blood test is under £20 a test. It may reduce the sort of side effects you get from drug therapy in, unnecessarily in patients.
0: Yes, that's an important point because I, I am aware of some studies showing, for example, that uh, uh, patients have better outcomes if they're treated according to their pro BMP concentration and heart failure rather than their physical symptoms. But then on the other hand, the, the physical side effects of the of the drugs can be quite disabling.
1: That's right.
0: Okay, well, Professor Ng, thank you very much for your your clear answers. And uh, your uh, study is appearing as the editor's choice in uh, HEART this month. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us for this second HEART BMJ podcast. Please look out for our third podcast, which will shortly be available on the heart.bmj.com website.